The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, I invite to your hearing of God's word with reverence, but also with faith and joy. Here in Romans chapter 2. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jews first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you know, in the Reformed and even the evangelical traditions, we are justified minus any of our works whatsoever. We, we, we bring nothing because we have nothing with which to turn the favor of an infinite holy God. Um, so saved, saved minus uh, works. But this does not mean that our works are unimportant. In fact, the standard of judgment for everyone at the end of the age is works. And God judge, uh, judges all the same the lost and the saved, by works and the end-time judgment. Therefore, in salvation, works are totally discarded, but in the end-time judgment, they are decisively important. And we will uh, learn here that uh, God is impartial in judging. That's why he's going to judge both the lost and the saved based on works. And again, that is the standard, works. They're works. Contextually, Paul is condemning the Jews and by application, all false religion, because the Jews thought that they were special and would receive special treatment from God in light of their ethnicity and in light of their law works. And Paul is decimating that argument. God will not receive them based on their ethnicity or their law works. He rejects rejects them. They're under condemnation. They have no excuse before God. The totality of the perfections of God will judge them as well. It is a good reminder, I think, by application. Be very careful about thinking that you are special in some way. Only God makes us special in his saving grace. And uh, part of that making us special is that he makes us humble uh, because he uh, does it all by his sovereign power. Uh, but nonetheless, the Jews uh, uh, will be rejected and recompensed accordingly. So, uh, but in verse 1, uh, uh, pardon me, verse 6, uh, we learn that in the end time judgment, uh, God will recompense according to works. Uh, the impartiality of God is the defining 
uh, principle of that judgment. Uh, and the end time uh, judgment engages uh, two classes, uh, just, just two. Uh, those who have believed in Christ and all the rest. Only two types of men, really, uh, in the economy of God. Uh, those who find the hope in the works of the Son and all the rest who will be judged because they have rejected the works of the Son. Uh, I say this because, as well, because uh, Romans 2.6 is a quotation from Psalm 62 and verse 12. That God will render to every man according to his deeds. Uh, in the context, Psalm 62, uh, David is confronting opposition, but he is confident that God will deliver him and reward him for his faithfulness. Uh, Paul's uh, use of the Old Testament, I believe, uh, establishes uh, the economy here in a proverbial form. Uh, namely, the standard of final judgment is works. And we'll see it throughout the scriptures. We're going to look at a number of verses this morning that uh, trace this proverbial form, uh, use of the Old Testament. And the recompense is a one-to-one -one correspondence. Wrath to the wicked and blessings for the good. Let's look at some verses here, uh, the first being uh, Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 24. And the twelfth verse, uh, simply a highlight of this uh, proverb that I believe that uh, Paul is establishing. Uh, again, uh, Proverbs 24, going to read uh, the twelfth verse. If you say, see, uh, we did not know this. Remember the refrain. Uh, all are without excuse. Not a very good one. See, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps the soul? And will he not remember to man according to his work? Now, by the way, it's good to remind her, uh, for anyone who is outside of Jesus Christ, it is God who weighs the hearts. He can, he can pierce the motives and the intentions and weigh them according to his perfections. And he is the keeper of the soul. The most awesome power of God, the expression of Jesus Christ in Revelation 1. He has the keys of death and hell. He keeps the soul and will call it to account and render to every man according to his work. Uh, Illustration of this in the life of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. By the way, behind that theology is that uh, vindication belongs to God. Uh, we're going to be wronged all of our life. God will take care of it. That's what Paul is expressing here. Alexander the coppersmith did something terrible to Paul. He leaves it with God. Uh, he knows that God uh, will execute uh, judgment according to the work of Alexander the coppersmith. Yeah. Warning to those 
who are outside of the Savior. Uh, but we begin in verse 7 with the reward of the believer. Uh, the Christian, who is defined by persevering in good works, is examined by God and blessed. It's very interesting to me that the believers are described in verse 7. Uh, we know that behind this description, there's faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, it will become intensified as we get into the doctrine of justification, subsequent chapters. But uh, they're described in verse 7 uh, as, as those who are persevering in doing good works. And as well as those to whom God will give eternal life. Uh, the description is also amplified in the in the following, in that they are seeking, seeking glory, honor, and immortality by persevering in good works. Uh, that we are seeking vindication at the final judgment by persevering in good works, knowing that we will be acquitted by our works when our judgment becomes public in the last and final judgment, and God makes it open in his acceptance of uh, his people and the rejection of all others. Uh, the essential, I believe, is persevering or continuing in the faith evidenced by good works. Again, good works do not save us. But they are the basis of our public acquittal in the final judgment. And therefore, they are very important. And that's why Paul says those persevering in good works. Perseverance is a term of duration. It speaks of continuance. Uh, very quickly, a verse here, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says, it is the one who has persevered to the end who will be saved. And so, it places a whole new light on the doctrine of perseverance and good works. It speaks to so many who come to the faith and say, well, that settles the matter. Now I'm going to abandon myself to drift and neglect and lethargy and forgetting about the good works of God that we're called to do. Perhaps they should take note of the description of, uh, of one who is acquitted in a final judgment. An illustration of this, uh, uh, in the, in the words of Jesus is in the parable of the sower. I'm going to turn in the New Testament to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. And the one on whom the seed uh, was sown on the good ground, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Notice how he's described. He, he brings forth fruit. He perseveres or continues, if you will, in good works. This is the only seed in this parable, it's blessed. All the rest are rejected. Highlighting uh, the bearing of fruit. 
And as you know, Jesus interprets this for his disciples. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on the interpretation, but in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, uh, we read, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, and let him hear. In other words, uh, the man who, who perseveres in doing good works, whether they be 30, 60, or 100 fold, that's in the providence and the sovereignty of God and in the God who gives gifts as he wills and who blesses uh, those gifts as he wills. He will shine. He will shine brightly like the stars of heaven. The refrain, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, uh, is, is a reference to idolatry uh, essentially, it's a call to shake off lethargy. Because of the danger uh, of, of the end time judgment and being caught unawares, uh, absent persevering in good works. Uh, uh, the verse itself uh, is an allusion to one of the few verses in the Old Testament uh, that speaks to uh, the resurrection, referencing Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Uh, you can hear the correspondence in a very beautiful way. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Uh, it's a reference to the wise man, uh, the man who can discern the difference between good and evil, the man who can discern when someone is playing God false, the man who has a totally empty profession but is trying to mask that profession to get by, to escape, and to compromise his faith uh, by breaking uh, the word of God. All of those things, it's a man uh, who can pierce the veil of falsehood. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I love that latter phrase. It's parallel. Those who lead many to righteousness, who see themselves as rescuers, who call men and women to persevere, to continue in the faith, not to be lethargic, not to drift because of its danger. And so they are described as those who lead many to righteousness. It is a great calling the disciples of Christ to lead many, to catch them before they engage eternal peril. And so it's quite clear in these sects that there's two classes of men. One perseveres in good works and all the rest. And so it is worth reminding ourselves that works do not save But at the end of the age, for the believer, they will account us in our public acquittal before the world and God's acceptance of us. It's also a reminder, again, of the professing Christian. As you know, James, James tells us most beautifully a reminder but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Doers of the word. It's radically important to hear the word, to understand the word. 
just as important to do the Word lest you deceive yourselves and think you are safe when you are not. And so James in chapter 2, verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. That true faith always engages works, perseveres in them, continues in them, as evidence that the faith is true and genuine. Perseverance, I believe, is largely a forgotten doctrine today. It needs to be recovered in the life of the church, and it includes the doing of good works as part of our public acquittal at the end of the age. Part of, I believe, of our summons uh, to people who simply hear the word and forget to be doers. But it is, it is not forgotten in the end time judgment. Their persevering in good works becomes radically important as the basis of public acquittal. Expression of this in Revelation chapter 14 verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus. And the commandments of God engage the doing of works in loving God and loving our neighbor. There's an illustration of this in Revelation uh, chapter 2. If you want to turn a final book of the New Testament, uh, Revelation chapter 2 in verse 23. Uh, It's a profound verse of warning. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, the context is a false teacher, uh, Jezebel. Uh, By the way, all of her children in the Old Testament were killed. It's a warning passes because the offspring of false teachers will be destroyed. Conversely, you and I are to persevere in doing good works, our faith in Jesus. Uh, The text is an allusion. uh, Revelation 2.23 is an allusion uh, to Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 uh, and verse 10. And it really, again, is another text highlighting the importance of this proverbial notion of the critical aspect of persevering in good works as part of our public acquittal. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. That's a rebuke to those who think that they can hide their motives and their intentions from God. Uh, The context in Jeremiah is idolatrous Jews who are indeed playing God false, but God tests the minds and the hearts. In Revelation, it's a professing Christian who's playing God false, who's compromising his faith, professing Christ but doing otherwise. 
but again, in Romans 2, there's uh, also uh, a judgment by works in which the works of the Christian, defined by perseverance, will vindicate him at the end of the age as true. I want to speak to this to kind of explain it a little bit because, again, uh, we oftentimes don't hear about the importance of good works. And, of course, in grace, the transformation of the Christian engages good works. Uh, that is beautifully uh, expressed by our Savior uh, in uh, John uh, chapter 15. In verse 5, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We've heard that before, have we not? The bearing of fruit, the persevering in good works. Verse 8, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, works do not save us. But they are evidence of the grace of God in transformation that engages good works that will form part of our acquittal at the end of the age in the public judgment of the lost and the saved. Uh, a great text where uh, this is uh, confirmed uh, in a very important sense uh, to see the connection between faith and good works is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, the verse is an outworking of God's gift of faith described in the context. Uh, Paul is really clear, is he not? Salvation is not the result of works. We're not saved by works. I mean, verse 9, not a result of works that no one should boast. And now there's an explanation of that in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, the word workmanship is a word that speaks to the creative acts of God. That God created us new. He made us new. And that engages transformation. We are the workmanship of God. And the cause is because we have been created in Christ Jesus. Notice again the text. Created in Christ. I believe it's a causal participle. Because we have been created in Christ. That we are as Christians the end time new creation that's begun by Christ the creator. But notice the goal of the creation For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We know from Ephesians 1 that God chose us, He predestined us, but He also predestined us unto good works. So a true Christian is made known by His good works as cause is to effect. The cause is always the grace of God. The effect is the purpose statement 
of our new creation and our Savior for good works, for the glory of God, to manifest His glory, and as well to form part of our acquittal in the public uh, judgments at the end of the age. That this union between us and Christ produces evidence in this life that we belong to Him and that will vindicate us in the final judgment. Uh, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. Uh, another very explicit uh, text of uh, judgment at the end of the age. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All go before the same judgment and the same judge. There's going to be a recompense, correspondence between the good and the evil. I don't know about you, but I read that text and it frightens me. But there's a couple of hints in the text that allay my fears and remind me of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the blessings that accrue to us because of His sovereign favor. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. He's speaking of the Christian. He's speaking that our outer man is failing day by day. We're under judgment as well. Uh, barring Christ and His coming, and may He come quickly, our health all of us is going to break. Someday we're going to die. Because we're under judgment. Because at one time, we were in Adam. And even though that's been broken and we are now in Christ, uh, our physical body is still under judgment. Ah, but the new, the inner man, the spiritual life, where we've been saved, uh, Paul says, now, verse 16, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our sovereign creator is making us new, transforming us by his sovereign power. What a great reminder of God's goodness to us. While the outer is being shed, the inner is being renewed. Notice uh, chapter 5 and verse 3. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. We go to the final judgment. We're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The world will be stripped. We will not be because of His goodness to us. And then lastly, verse 5. Now He who has prepared for us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now one of the reasons we can go to this public trial uh, in confidence and hope uh, not only because of the evidence of good works and the constant renewal of our gracious Savior in the inner man, is because the Spirit of God has been given to us as a pledge, reminding us that we are His, that He is our power, He is our hope. And so, uh, 
It's a good reminder that we go differently than those who are outside of the Savior, who have not the Holy Spirit, and his works are evil, and they will be recompensed one for one by an impartial judge. Uh, In other words, uh, you and I will stand in this judgment renewed by Christ and identified with his resurrection and new life. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you have none of that. And uh, that judgment looms over you in incredible power and the weight of eternal destruction. It's a summons in and of itself to flee uh, to Christ, safety and hope. Confessing sin, repentance, uh, and the power of Christ as the new creator. It's the only hope. Vacate that and there is no hope from the judgment of God whatsoever. There is no hope uh, in your works. They'll be stripped and found totally uh, empty and wanting. In fact, they will be found evil, as Paul will soon tell us. And so I'm just simply reminding you that in grace, uh, the transformation of the Christian uh, is uh, is, uh, engaged in uh, renewing of the inner man, evidence in the outer man in doing good works. Now, coming back to Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, the Jew, or if you will, the religious man, or the moral man, or the secular man who perseveres in error and disobedience will be rejected. Totally, finally rejected. Uh, he is defined uh, in the reverse of the man who perseveres in good works. He is defined as persevering in selfishness, disobedience, and unrighteousness. Well, he perseveres too, just in the wrong way. And God will arrest him in the final judgment and reward him accordingly in tragic recompense. Let's go through this uh, very quickly. First, he pursues self. That's selfishness. There's one thing that's important to him, and that's self. And he gives his heart and soul to pursuing self, his own ambition. He may produce many good works. Uh, He may endow chairs at the university. There may be a hospital wing named after him. Uh, He he may be... uh, regaled uh, in the public arena in the daily newspaper. Uh, Society may bless his name. But the standard of judgment here is God, not society. God is the judge, not society. The applause of men does not count. The smiles of God do. Second, he disobeys. Um, it's really more uh, more pronounced than that in the Greek text. It's a present participle. He is disobeying. He is disobeying the truth. Uh, truth is an essential. It's always an essential. The content of the gospel is essential. But there's something more important here, I think, that's just as profound. All truth is God's truth. The truth in science and engineering and physics and economics, all truth belongs to God. If it's true, 
It is his. And men who teach and follow otherwise uh, are disobedient and reject the truth. The physician that says, I'll kill your baby, is violating God's truth of life. The physician that says, oh, I'll help you in your gender transformation surgery is affronting the power of God as creator. And he will fall into great peril in the final judgment. The biology teacher who teaches evolution, pardon me, the theory of evolution, will one day face God for disobeying the truth. that you and I know all points to the majesty and holy and perfections of the greatness of God who creates and uses means in his sovereign power and the gathering of the universe and framing it and forming it by his spoken word. Lastly, again, Romans uh, 2 He obeys, really uh, obeying unrighteousness. Uh, Unrighteousness commands him and he obeys. He salutes and goes and does uh, precisely uh, what is defined as disobedience. And what will they get? The wrath of God. The recompense of God. They have done evil and God will give them over wholeheartedly evil without any governor whatsoever. And it will destroy them throughout all eternity. One eternal moment at a time. Uh, It does remind us, as Christians, that while good works do not save us, uh, they are evidence uh, in the public acquittal at the end of the age, and therefore very important. Now, but notice something uh, is going on here. Two types of men. Two ways of life. Just two. Not many. Just two. Two men, two ways, and two ends. Eternal life and eternal recompense by the judgments of a righteous, holy God. In verses 9 to 11, Romans 2, the the recompense is restated, uh, perhaps for reinforcement, for emphasis of the proverb of eternal judgment, namely that God renders according to works. He's impartial. He's going to judge both the same. The standard is the same in the final judgments at the end of the age, works. Eternal tribulation and distress awaits every soul doing evil. Uh, Again, another participle. Present participle, doing evil. Outside of Jesus Christ, that's their way of life. Regardless of the description of society and all of the halls of fame that they belong to, they count for nothing before the judgments of God. God will arrest them, bind them, 
over to eternal tribulation and perdition. Because they have done evil works and slandered his truth and his goodness and his mercy. Uh, we are we are losing, I think, uh, the concept of eternal judgment in the life of the church, the church at large. We simply glaze over it. Uh, it's really not true. In fact, there are some genuine Christians, uh, theologians, as you know, that uh, reject eternal judgments and perdition, and they hold to annihilation. I don't agree with them, uh, but the concept is radical, is it not? That eternal judgment is so profound of a concept that they simply cannot handle it mentally and they believe that the wicked are simply annihilated. They're snuffed out. I don't believe that. I don't believe they're snuffed out at all. They will suffer eternal tribulation throughout all time without any rest whatsoever, without any break whatsoever without any occasion ever, ever of repenting and coming to Jesus Christ. But it erodes the importance of the gospel. That eternal wrath fell upon the Son of God upon the cross, was vented against Him, and was entirely satisfied by being vented against the eternal Son of God because of His perfections of who he is and what he did. That is our hope. That is what we believe. That is what we flee to. Uh, that is the basis of our justification. The basis of him as our new creator. The power of his resurrection. We were raised with him. And that renewal day by day, transforming us, that is evidenced in the doing of good works. And what are we to get? Here the text is so beautiful, so profound. Verse 10, but glory, eternal glory, glory without end. And the full weight of the glory of God engaging his sons. We get glory and honor. God will honor us. The world has 10,000 halls of fame. There's really only one that matters. God's. When he will honor his sons. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And because in their renewing by the power of the Spirit. There's the evidence of good works. And then peace. All at rest. All is right. That's, that's the gift of God. That's the reward of the saints. Their good works. The final judgment at the end of the age. And we are acquitted. And the world will see it. And all who are outside of Jesus Christ will gnash their teeth. But they will be shoved into eternal darkness. And we will be shoved into the light of everlasting glory and the presence 
of the Savior world without end. Compelling hope of the gospel and the goodness of God that we labor, but for the greatest of reasons, by the greatest of power, uh, for the greatest acquittal of all time. So both are judged by works and recompensed accordingly, because God is an impartial judge, Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, The word impartial is literally to receive the face. God has no respecter of persons. All are judged the same. No curve, no mulligans. And therefore, we're not saved by works, uh, but they are of great importance Uh, for our final public acquittal at the end of the age. Uh, The uh, the judgment should should dispel uh, notions of being lackadaisical, of drift or lack of urgency. You see, there is a great disconnect here. Well, I've been saved by grace through faith. uh, It will last for all time but I don't need to persevere in doing good works. That disconnect is exactly what Paul is engaging in Romans chapter 2. The importance of persevering in good works as evidence, as evidence that will see us into the final trial, the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be acquitted because we have done some 30, some 60, and some 100. It is true our works don't save us. Work of Christ alone saves us. Uh, But they can become uh, evidence at the trial. The great acquittal. And so we must draw near to his grace every day. Every day. Draw near to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. His renewing power. The power of his spirit who works within us. We must persevere in conduct that advances his glory to the end, that we are received into the glory that we have labored for, namely his. It will fall upon us, the sons of God, unabated, fullness of power, and gather us into his eternal kingdom. I trust you know the Savior. I trust as well you are persevering in good works. If you do not, some time today, you need to get alone and recognize that you will fall and go to this great trial, and the hands of God will crush you throughout all time. The only hope is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And I trust he is yours. And may the fullness of the goodness and the grace and the peace of God fill you this day and every day until he comes for his church.